Hi everyone, welcome to another edition of the Svarim Chatter Podcast. On this episode of the podcast, I'm going to be joined once again by Ramesh Maiman, and we'll be discussing the Taj Art auction, the upcoming auction at the time this is being released, which is auction 11, and it's Sunday, December 24th at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, we've done this in the past. I think this is our third auction episode, if memory serves, uh, but listeners can correct us if that's wrong, and where we discuss an auction catalog and discuss some of their items that they'll be offering for sale, and we discuss interesting historical tidbits and nuggets, whether it's about that this specific lot n- number or it's just about the item in general, there's a new edition and things like that, things that that came you know, were interesting to us. As with the past episodes, this one is sponsored by the Auction House. I'll say that up front. Uh, it's sponsored by Taj Art Auction House. And I thank them for the sponsorship. Um, and so, but there's a lot of interesting information. Uh, but, you know, at the beginning, I will say their link will be in the show's notes. If you're on the WhatsApp chat, the link will be there. On Twitter, the link will be there. Please sign up. Please, you know, go to bid. There's a lot of items from, they're on the, wouldn't say cheap, but on the lower end to the very expensive and even if you're, you know, you're not looking to buy, you're not a collector, or it's just very expensive, I would still urge you to go look. There are many fascinating items. It's a really wonderful auction. And as we'll get into, you, uh, hopefully this podcast will be interesting and enjoyable. I've gotten good feedback on the other ones, so hopefully this is the same thing. So thank you, Ramesha, for joining me. Thank you very much, Nachi. What a pleasure to be here. Baruch Hashem, um, the auction industry is alive and well, and that is a Great news for Swarm lovers, history lovers, Jewish uh, rabbinic lovers, because uh, it's the sustained interest in these auction houses that make, um, that give value to, to these artifacts. People cherish them, people talk about them, and we are all enriched by the process. So Baruch Hashem for that. And uh, again, it's a tremendous pleasure to be with your audience, Nachi, talking about the things we love. We love to talk about the Swarm, we love to talk about the history, and we hope uh, that the readers find this enriching. It is a very rich catalog with a lot of interesting artifacts. Some that we've covered in the past and some uh, new ones as well, which we will talk about. Yeah, and so I think we'll do like what we did in the past. I'll try to, I'll try, we'll mention the specific lot number and the item that we're discussing. In the show's notes, the ones that we went into in depth, I'll try to link individually. But again, there'll be a a link to the catalog. And we'll run through, we're going to go in order of the catalog and stopping by the ones that we have what to say and we found interesting personally. Doesn't mean the other ones are not interesting. Some of them are really fascinating. And maybe briefly mention, I'm not going to mention every item. There's 210 lots, but maybe we'll mention some of the items that are of interest, even some that we don't have much to say on. Um, so I think the, there are some interesting items to start off. The lot four is a Sifse Das, which is not so well known. It's one of the um, Svarim of the Kliyakar. The Kliyakar is much more well known. Actually, there's a new edition of Sifse Das. There's Ishmael Leket. And uh, that's that's a little. There's some other books uh, there, but I think the first lot that really jumped out at us when we started preparing this for this episode, I think Thursday night when we started preparing for this, is Main Ganem, Venice, fifteen fifty three. This is lot nine. It's a miniature, which is a small book, and this is a book written by Shmuel Archiavolti. He was very involved in the printing press in Italy. He was an editor for I think the Parvenel and some other things. He also has a book, Arugas Avaisim on Diktuk, but this book is teaching how to compose letters. And it's a very interesting book. And Ramesh, I know you looked into this. I had heard about this uh, a while ago. I'm sure many of your listeners have, uh, will, will recognize the name as well, because this featured very prominently 
in um, in the greater picture of uh, Rabbi Baruch Epstein and his uh, Mekar Baruch. It's a really fascinating episode, and the rarity of this item was actually uh, featured as well in the in that whole uh, story in that whole episode. So just to give uh, the the listeners a, a refresher, and maybe if, if you didn't hear about it, it's worth looking into. This sefer is um, it's it's uh, it's called. It's called Igrois uh, Chachma, he calls it, letters. And like you said, it's, uh, it's, it was meant to teach uh, readers how the art of writing, writing in prose and writing to different people, writing to your Rebbe, writing to your parents, writing to your spouse, writing to your beloved. There's a section there in, which includes uh, love letters, the fifth section of the book. So it's really, um, it's, a, it's a quite a unique kind of uh, safer book, call it what you will. It's not, it's not, it doesn't belong to a very uh, large genre of svarim. But this uh, eluded many people who only heard about it, did not actually see it in print, which, um, which owing to the rarity, well, I don't know that it was ever printed again after the original print here in the 1500s. But uh, this safer comes up in the discussion of Rabbi Baruch Epstein with his aunt in the Makar Baruch and uh, in a somewhat altered form in My Uncle the Nitziv. There's a chapter there where Rabbi Baruch talks about his conversations that he had with his aunt, his aunt and Nitziv's wife, Rabbi Baruch the son of the Aretz HaShulchan is the nephew of the Nitziv. And as a nephew of the Nitziv, he's a ben biased by the Nitziv. And he gets to know his aunt, the Nitziv's wife, who is the daughter of Rabbi Itzel Valojiner. So in the Mekar Baruch uh, version, in the Hebrew version, it's obviously, there's much more information there. There we learn uh, that uh, this aunt was uh, an intellectual, a frustrated one at that, because uh, women did not have too much opportunity for learning and pursuing the, their intellectual interests. But this, uh, she was the daughter, obviously, of, of from the greatest Chacham uh, Melita and the husband and the wife of uh, of the Nitziv. So she had a lot of opportunity to be around Sfarim and around Rabbanim and around Talmud Chachamim. But she felt frustrated that she didn't have even more of opportunity to explore Chachamas uh, Atayra. And Reb Baruch says, perhaps because of her intellectual interests, she was not much of a homemaker. And he extols the Nitziv's virtue. The Nitziv uh, suffered that very uh, tolerantly. Sometimes there weren't meals on the table, but he was fine with that. That's because uh, Reina Batya, as uh, she's now known, uh, Baruch Epstein's aunt and Nitziv's wife, would uh, would often um, be uh, you know studying or learning instead of doing uh, some, you know, some of her household chores. At any rate, the theme that she would often take up with her Baruch Epstein in their recorded conversations, as as presented by Rabbarach in the Makar Baruch, always uh, revolved around the topic of of great women in Jewish history and the opportunities. Does does Jewish history, of, you know, does does the Jewish rabbinic tradition afford women the opportunity for learning? Does it uh, look favorably on such learning? Does it extol the few women who did achieve greatness in Torah learning? She was always uh, maintaining that uh, it do- it does, and Rabbarach Epstein was always uh, sounding the you know playing devil's advocate much to the consternation of his aunt. And uh, they would argue vociferously, as recorded in the Makar Baruch, sometimes there'd be a period of silence. She was so upset with him, she couldn't continue talking with him. But at any rate, these conversations show what a special woman she was and, um, and what unique kind of conversation Rebarach Epstein enjoyed with her. At one point in the discussion, Rebarach Epstein reports, she pulls out a little safer that she found called Mayanganim from, he mispronounces the last name, but it's, it's this Mayangana from Rabshmuel Archivolti. And she shows him that, that Rabshmuel writes there that perhaps you can say that when the Chachamim talk about 
when they dissuade a father from teaching his daughter Torah, that's only, uh, you know, it's in limited circumstances, but in, in other circumstances, it would be permitted. And, you know, he's, uh, he's, he shows leniency in that regard. So uh, she feels triumphant when she shows it to her Baruch Hepsi, and her Baruch Hepsi dismisses it with saying, nah, that's, that's uh, Reb Shavuol Arkevolti. We don't know if he was a, a halachist. We don't know uh, if, if, that's, if, if he has enough halachic weight to actually sway uh, the normative halacha. So he dismisses it, and again, uh, she's very upset about it. This is the story as he tells it. But later research has shown that he didn't actually see the Sefer in sight. One of the reasons is because he calls a Sefer like a Sefer of Halacha. And it's clearly anything but a Sefer of Halacha. Furthermore, in the Torah Tamima written by Rabbi Baruch Epstein before the Mekar Baruch, he has this exact back and forth on his own where he's talking about women learning Torah and he's in, in, in Dvarim uh, Perikadalov and he cites this Sefer which he calls a Shilas Achuvis uh, Mayanganim from this Italian sage and he's and there himself he brings it up as a proof but dismisses it perhaps it's not true because it's not uh, it, perhaps it's not true from a halachic perspective because uh, Rabbi Shmuel Arkevolt is only a medactic. He's not necessarily Talmud Chacham. Here in the notes in the catalog, by the way, it calls him a Rosh Hashiva. So it's uh, likely that he was a Talmud Chacham. But at any rate, this very discussion that uh, that uh, Rabbi reports, you know, having had had with his uh, aunt, shows up in his own sefer anonymously, which is a theme I found myself in, in uh, as an aside. I found that in Rabbi that sometimes some of the conversations he records, he writes in other writings not in conversation form, but he'll bring up a Makar and he'll dismiss it. One example I pointed out to in the past was where he talks about the Chaim Valajaner's Vart with, um, with David Amel asking that the Hillam should be like an Egoyim and Ayalais. And Chaim Valajaner said, well, uh, we don't know what, what he said. So he has this as a back and forth, but in his own writings, it's not a conversation. It's his own Chiddush. Uh, so he had such a tendency. In other words, giving people uh, the suspicion that he would... Uh, his own ruminations and his own back and forth and some of his own information he'd plant in the, in the mouths of his conversants in his uh, fanciful retellings. That's, that's the suspicion here. Uh, Mark Shapiro points out that this same discussion he has in Teretimima, and he reports in the name of, uh, of his discussions with Reina Bhatti, his aunt, also shows up in another place in his letters to Chaim Hershenson. So it's, um, it, was, it was a favorite theme of his, and in all these cases, he always slightly misquotes the Sefer, the Mayangami, which he's purporting to quote from, which led Munshain, the Chabad scholar, to discover that he was actually never saw the Sefer himself. It was a very rare Sefer. For sure, he never saw it. And he was a bibliophile. Kalva Chaimer, his aunt, Reina Batya, never saw it. In Valajan, it was a rare Sefer. But he did see it. He saw it cited in the Tzafira, one of the periodicals in 1896, long after his stay in Valajan, long after Reina Batya had passed on. So uh, he was... He had, uh, he had reconstructed this whole episode based on something he had seen in a newspaper. So it's quite, uh, this, it was uh, somewhat of a very famous uh, um, uh, citation in, in Bayer Baruch Epstein. It was, uh, there's articles about it from Don Seaman and Dan Rabinowitz and uh, Mark Shapiro and again, uh, Munshine. So this is quite an exciting episode. I, I will also mention that the Safer has a picture in there that really <laughs> is, I'm not sure how to describe the picture, so I'm not going to describe it. I will just say, do yourself a favor and look at the picture. It's one of those old Renaissance Italy pictures. You know, think of the statue of David. Michelangelo. Uh, Michelangelo's famous statue in Florence. But it's, look at the picture. I'll, I'll put a link. And, and Rishul Archivolti was a Thomas Chacham, I believe. 
and he there's a I think a full bio of him in one of the volumes of Asufot, Meir Benio's journal Yadav Nisim, and he, he you know he wrote like I said a rubis of and he, he was involved with many different things. So this is a very interesting, fascinating item. The auction now says that it's rare. Uh, no reason to doubt it. I didn't really double check, and um, it's it's really a wonderful uh, safer. So to mention uh, that one. Lot, that's lot nine. Lot ten is Noyekaten Yosef. It's a unique copy. That's uh, the um, safer of Menhagim, Halachas of Frankfurt. Interesting safer. But lot eleven is one we'll, which we'll turn to next. And it's interesting because here in the description it's called a rare polemical book against the Kabbalah. Eitz Hadat, with several annotations by the author in the margins. Venice, seventeen o four. It's not exactly a book uh, polemic against Kabbalah, even though that's part of it, as we'll get into here. I actually own a copy of this, which uh, thank to Jack Jamal, Jewish Bookery, uh, and this is a commentary on Bechinus Eilam for Bidaya Bedirsi, and it was written anonymously, but it is written by the great Italian Paisic uh, Rab Shimshin Morpurgu, not so well known. He has a this this is his book. It hasn't been redone, and his other book is. Shemesh Tzedakah, a uh, book of, of Chuvis that he wrote also hasn't been redone. There's, there's a couple of famous Chuvis in there, um, notably one about Tefillin HaChalamoyed. He got into a back and forth with the Romano Chayriki, the big Mekubal Meshaz Chassidim. And uh, I'll mention uh, Rabbi Dr. David Katz on his podcast had did an episode on Abshishimor Purgo, worth listening to if you want to hear more about him. So he prints this volume anonymously when he was young, I think 23 years old. And in the back, he includes a poem from uh, Francis. I think they're the Francis brothers, Yaakov and Jacob and Emmanuel, Yaakov and Emmanuel. And this is kind of where things become heated. Um, later on with Rabbi Aviad Sar Shalom Basilia, for those that aren't familiar, he is he authors the book called Emunas Chachamim. That's a work where he denigrates philosophy, he defends, upholds Kabbalah. It's kind of in the genre of the pushing back against those who attack the authenticity of the Zayr and and just attack Kabbalah generally. And he was a big uh, godel in Italy also at the same time period, 18th century. And there's what to discuss on him. That There actually is a new edition of Amunas Chachamim from Zichron Aaron with the notes of Yaakov Emden wrote notes in his Matvachas Forum on the bottom and they put that on the bottom. Part of it was notes on Amunas Chachamim. Anyways, with all that intro, Ramesh, I'll turn it over to you. And that's, by the way, this is again, lot 11, and there are some, in the margin, some notations from the author. And it's a very interesting item, as we'll discuss more here. I, again, I learned about this item first, sec from, uh, from the aforementioned Amunas Chachamim. I, uh, I was curious to learn who is the target of his ire, because the Musachamim throughout the Sefer, before five different places, he mentions this newly released Sefer. This again, this uh, the Eitz Hadas was published in seventeen oh four. The Musachamim, I think, is published in seventeen thirty thereabouts, and he still refers to a recently released Sefer by an unknown scholar. Um, he claims not to know who it is, but he's very, very perturbed by um, by this uh, by this author because although he he. He, he, he concedes it's clear that the author is a Talmud Chacham. And again, uh, important, this is published in 1704 when Rav Shemshim was only 23 years old, very young man, but quite accomplished already at the time and accomplished. He was already a rabbi and a scholar. And when he publishes the Sefer, he, he does it without uh, putting his name in there. And therefore, then when Chacham says, I don't know who it is, it doesn't say who it is, but he's very, very opposed to certain positions in the Sefer in the Akdama, where he takes a... Uh, uh, 
a very lukewarm approach to the Kabbalah, and more so for the letter in the back from uh, Yaakov Francis. Yaakov Francis is one of the famous two Francis brothers. They lived during the uh, during the the height of the Shabbat Tzvi uh, saga, and they uh, they wrote a, a series of very famous letters where they both were made a mockery of Shabbat Tzvi. So these were the the two the two brothers who were able to laugh while everybody else was totally caught up in the frenzy of Shabbos Tzvi. They were able to stand apart, see it for what it was, and scoff and mock it. With the one brother, Yaakov Francis, also opposed in, in general to Kabbalah. And he had a song which which is, you know, uh, it shows a, a very uh, a very skeptic approach to believing in, in the authenticity of Kabbalah. And this is the song, this sheer, this this prose, is what Rabbi Shinshin Morporgo appends to the end of the Sefer, and that is that, and that is an unforgivable sin in the eyes of Rabbi Viad Sar Shalom Basile and his Amunus Nachamim, because he is defending the authenticity of the Kabbalah tradition in the Sefer. This Sefer is has to be understood. Really, both Sarm, in a sense, have to be understood against the inner Jewish intellectual battleground being fought then in Italy for Kabbalah. Italy, uh, you know. The, the, the Jews of Italy were much more modern than, 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 uh, than we understand for the, from um, Eastern European Jews, even to an extent more than Western European Jews. Uh, they had the Renaissance there, and they were very exposed to culture and, and uh, different, the different religions and, and secular writings, etc., etc. But the Kabbalah does make great inroads there, starting from Ramami Pano, and they, even earlier, to some extent, with the Rikanadian. Um, we'll talk about him. We'll mention a safer of his being uh, featured in this auction. But uh, slowly but surely, by, in, by the time of the 1700s, it's a full-out war with the pros and the cons. There are those uh, among the Rabban who are very, very pro. Ramosh Zakut is a very big proponent of Kabbalah. And then there are those more of the rational bent that are not so favorable towards Kabbalah. And that's why we see a flourishing of Svarim pro and con in, in this era. We have uh, the, we're going to get it uh, further down the list. There's a Shemir Amunim from uh, Rabbi Yosef Irgas, written the, the Rabbi Lavarno. It also came out around 1730, around the same time that, as the Amunus Hachamim is coming out. And as those, these are as far as that are pro-Kabbalah. So Rabbi Viad in his Amunus Hachamim targets the, the anonymous author of Eitz Adas for his anti-Kabbalah stand. Now, it should, you already alluded to this. It's not really an anti-Kabbalah safer. It's a, it's a commentary on Bechinas Oilem. Bechinas Oilem is rationalistic. In that it's 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 Rabbi Daya's paninim, it's his Muslim, it's it's given with the rationalist bent, but it's not in any way anti-Kabbalah. But but again, the, the rationalism and the uh, the few comments here and there, and especially including the letter that convinced Rabbi Viad that this is uh, from an anti-Kabbalah author, and that's why he targets him. The tremendous irony here is that these two chachamim belong to the same exact circle. Uh, one of the uh, one of the main Mekubalim that Rabbi Viad quotes in his Sefer is Rabbi Yosef Piametta. Rabbi Yosef Piametta is the father-in-law of Rabbi Shemshemur Porgo. So they, and they, together, they both learn the, of, uh, in the Yeshiva of Yehuda Briel. They're, 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 you might even think of them as classmates. I don't believe that Rabbi Viad knows who he is targeting. He says it was published anonymously. David Ruderman has argued that he does, and he just presents it as anonymous Sefer out of respect for his friend. I don't know. Uh, David Ruderman's article is in the Jerusalem volume of Studies in Jewish Thought. Very, uh, very interesting article where he discusses this exact polemic. And his conclusion over there is actually that uh, even though, even though they actually belong to the same group and they have similar opinions, 
even Rabbi Shemar Porgo is not a major Aristotelian. He's also an anti-philosophy to some extent. The question is just what's the better foot to put forward for the uh, general public? One which is more pro-Kabbalah or one which is more pro-rationalism, even though this, it's really, in, in a sense, Mashmoy's Darshan Ikabenayu. It's a very good article, very good study. I recommend it. You'll also learn there about the sad, sad, it's a tragic comedy, what uh, befell poor uh, Rabbi Viyad Sar Shalom, Basil, the author of Amunas HaChamim. He had a habit of uh, visiting the prison in Mantua every Friday. And uh, during one of his visits, as he's leaving, he's bending over to put some uh, charity in the alms box. And some hooligan paints a cross on um, on on his uh, on his uh, derriere, and when he gets up and he's leaving, he becomes a mockery, and, and the people in the towns people are scoffing him. He says, "If you take note of where the cross is, you won't be laughing." And that really angered the governments. They couldn't take a joke, and the Christian authorities had him in prison for a year, and then he was in house arrest, and then he was stuck confined to the ghetto almost at the end of his life. So it really turned into a very tra- a big big tragedy. But again, he's one of the one of the great chacham of his era, as as is Rabbi Shimshon Porgo. And this volume eight zadas really makes for a fascinating historical study of the personalities of that episode. Yeah, and one more thing, and Rabbi Shimshon Porgo, uh, there's again, there's a bunch of famous chuvas in Shemesh Tadaka, um, and also he was of like Ramosha said, the rationalistic bent. He was part of the school of Italy who had the Rabbonim that were kind of the doctors, the physicians, they went to the university in Padua. And then there was the, then they were clean shaven. I think there's some, there's a picture of him, I think somewhere that, that he is. And then you also had the Mekubalim, like his father-in-law. And you had the other ones like Raviyah Zarshalem that were big Mekubalim. So it was kind of the two kind of Rabbonim. Sometimes even these Mekubalim were clean shaven. That's uh, And when we see pictures of them, it also takes us by surprise. But that was uh, kind of normal back then. And we know the Ramchal, and another part of Shishmar Porgo that I was going to say is he was very involved uh, in the Ramchal controversy. Ramosh Chagiz, who I'm going to met, get to in a second, or Chagiz, but I'll call him Chagiz. He, um, there's letters between him and Shishmar Porgo. He's writing about the Ramchal, and these were printed, they were published by the scholar Isaiah Zona, Shai Zona. He published them. You can print it off, even like Hebrew books. And so that, that is what there is. And there's a lot more to say on Shemesh Porgo, but again, this is his work, um, Eitzadas, it's really nice. And by the way, I can tell you from the copy, I have a copy, it's beautiful, it's wide margins, it's really nice, easy to read. He actually puts the sources in the bottom. It's almost like you're using a just contemporary printed book of footnotes, like Mosad of Cook. It's really nice with the sources. Um, the, I should, I'm not always going to mention prices because things go up and down and the but I can mention at least starting prices. The start price in this is $500. And, you know, that's this is also for anyone that knows auctions. There's commission and then there's shipping and things like that. But $500 and there is no bid as of now. It is a very nice item, very, very interesting and unique item. So, Risha, you wanted to add something? I think those, it's important to point out that those letters also demonstrate, the letters to Ramosha Chagiz demonstrate an important facet of Rabbi Porgo's uh, personality. He's not a radical anti-Kabbalist uh, like, uh, like like maybe uh, some would have you believe. And therefore, we have in these letters, you see him kind of trying to temper Ramosh HaChagiz's uh, Kanois. Ramosh HaChagiz is all out waging war to, to expose uh, the Ramchal, you know, for his for Sabadianism and his, uh, his loose canon Kabbalism. But Rav uh, Porgo is, is preaching for restraints and uh, really trying to quiet down the the, the, the the frenzy. So very uh, very level-headed, very responsible, very uh, rational, very even-keeled, very well-balanced. Tremendous uh, halachic authority that he was. 
Okay, so the next item that is lot 12. And lot 12, so, is really a fascinating item that I came across a few years ago when there was a new edition published of it three years ago. And, you know, I mentioned this to the auction house when I was emailing them that I said, I don't think their description does it justice. And maybe they'll amend it after this podcast because this is a really fascinating item. And right now it's only, it's as a bit of $400. But to me, again, I don't know. I didn't research like what it's going for, but it's fascinating and I want to talk about it. So it's Divari Zikaran printed in 1705. It's a beautiful copy, has the original leather binding, and there's a dedication to a groom. There's a stamp from Eitz Chaim Yeshiva in Amsterdam where it was printed. And it said it was like decommissioned from the library. But let's talk about the book. So what is it? Uh, the Divri Zikaran was written by Rabbi Yosef Stadthagen. It's a city in Germany. And it is, it basically, it's on Shulchan Aruch, Yeridea, Hilcha, Shechita, Ubedika. So, shechting an animal. But, it's not a commentary on Shulchan Aruch. He says it is. It is, as he, it's, it's um, Divri Musr, essentially. As he says on the cover, V'hayalachem lezikaran, Sefer Divri Zikaran, B'derech Hayam Techachas Musr. On what? On... Shechito Batika. Now, how does someone do something like that? So, to point out what the Sefer does, just to give you an example, Simen Yud Aleph. So, we bring Shulchan Aruch, we bring Shulchan Aruch, Simen Aleph Sivches. Shikr, a drunk. Sheagil Shakrusa Shaloit, Dina Keshaita. Someone that's very drunk like Light, he's a din of a Shaita. If he's not as drunk as Light, Shaykhit Lechatkil. And he could Shech, no problem. Haga, the Ramah says, V'yesh oimrim, she'shikr lo yeshchait, she'roga lovi lidei dursa. Ramah says, a shikr should not do shchita. What does the base of Shat Hagen say? Shikr ene yochaliya sadegomer. Hechachti, I prove, she'shikr ene yochaliya sadegomer. He's a begitten, and he goes off on gitten, and then the new edition has, um, there's commentary, and it's broken up, it's beautiful, it's done really nice. And he says, Hadorshim is noyach liganayim of Meshashtaka, he starts talking about noyach, and noyach got drunk, and he goes off, and he starts talking about all different things. And this is how the Sefer is set up, but it's on Shulchan Aruch. It's almost like he's riffing off of Shulchan Aruch, but this is how it's done. So the new edition only did Shechita, but uh, there's also Bedika as well. And I can give you just one more example, uh, maybe it's worth mentioning from the Sefer, and the Shulchan Aruch, Simen Yod, Sif Gimel, Sakin, Shashachat, Batreifa, Anaita, Shechta, Batreifa, Aser, Lishchit, but you can't Shecht with it, it's Aser, Adshayi, Dechenu, Betzayinim, or you can Bedavar, Kasha. You have to... Clean it off, essentially. What does he say? Tikkun the davar kasha. Then he goes into Rebbeisav Shtathagen into how do you fix a davar kasha? He starts going off on all different things. And then he says, and how do I see this in Dineshchita? And he starts telling you how this is how I see all this in Shchita, and he goes on and on it, and it's a big work. So what's interesting about this, all of this, is is that. Uh, and he has a haskama from the Smichs Chachamim, Ramavtali Akain Katz. And what's interesting is, I didn't check the dates, I meant to. Ramavtali says in his haskama that I don't give haskamas. He says, and, but at this, I'll read it, he says, I don't really give haskamas. But over here, he says, I don't, vim, vim omnum. However, ain't the dark elite in haskamas al svarim lahat fisam, kiasoi svarim harbe ain kates, many svarim. Amnam Kain Yotsasi Chutzmikdari went out Lachovin Sheiri Hanal. So it sounds like he's a Rav Hanal. Sounds like he's related. Umagam and also Shasefer Shechibar Kanal Rubai Kikulo Yirashemayim. It's mostly Yirashemayim. The Chol Magamaisa who the Zakas has a Rabim. The Chayim Lemanati Asmi Lahaskim Kanal. So he wanted to give us Gama. I'll just mention a historical tidbit. This is printed 1705. Rav Tali um, 
Akoyin, Katz, Smich Zachamim, does get involved in the Nechem Yechayun issue, and he does give a Haskama there. And that's, he has to retract it, and there's a whole controversy. But I, I think it came up in the Shabtai Tzvi series. So I, I didn't check the dates. I meant to. But that's just an interesting aside. Now, getting back to this race of Stadthagen, the Ramosh Chagiz has a beautiful work called Mishnah Tzachamim. And in Mishnah Tzachamim, where he talks about the Mem Chastavarim Shatar Nikaspan, but he only has 24. He never finished the Sefer. He says on, this is note, uh, note, or Ois, Reish Nun, where he says like this, Zachar Latoiva, she remembered for good, Va'al Tishchach, and don't forget, Milumud B'Sefer Divri Zikaran. Shechiber, to learn in Sefer Divri Zikaran. Shechiber, who was written by Echod Miyuchid, Merabone Goine Ashkenaz, one Miyuchid, the, the special one essentially of the Rabbonim of Ashkenaz, Mushlam Bechol Maila Toiva, he's, he's complete with all great greatness. Al Toiv Yisker Shemoy, his name shall be remembered. Harav Hagodl, Hagoin, Yisrael, Harav Hagodl, Goin Yisrael, Marav Harav Rabbeinu Yosef Shtat Hagen Zecher Tzadich Vekodesh Lavracha. The Bechokhmo Vedas, with Chokhmo and Das, Dorash Vechokar, he went and he's Drishim Achakira, Vasa Simuchim Dairaisa. He did Smuchim, because it's, again, it's not, I guess he's saying that because it's not on Hilchashkit Vedika. Bechibur Noviyo, Lehasmich, to being again, to go on, Kol Divrei Hayira Vahamusur Bechuva Mealyo. And proper tshuva, I'll call dinim shchitu b'dika, and all the dinim shchitu b'dika. Ukeish kvurasai loy haniach dover cotton v'gadol mimume hadar from the issues of the dar shaloy hachiach b'mishar es inoy ha'aretz hachafetzim l'shmoya es dvar Hashem. Zochra loy l'toyv, he remembered for good. Ulechasnoi nisan lo hatoyroni hanale hakatzin ahuvenu kerav harav rabenu Yeshua chalfon meuben neiroi asher zochra v'zika es arabim. The Ezer lahoitzi sefer zelayra. So he's talking about the son of the prince, the book. Ulafikach, and therefore zacha lebanim bnei Torah. He was therefore zaycha to have children. Bnei Torah hanechemodim mizov mipazrov. Shem ha'echad marav mari leiv neiroi mikal kodesh prag. Asher kol liboy lashamayim v'leipasik girsim ipume. He didn't stop learning. Many people that came from Prague to hear told me. And uh, Ramesh Chagiz is in Ahu, I think it's from Altenhamber Wandsbeck. He's in Germany, not so far from Prague. The schus of a siyamidlehem, and the schus of a should be for them. Ki be'emes, hagoyin avi imamzal, their grandfather, who's the enemy of Shtat Hagen, who we're talking about. Ha'yeechon me'amudei ha'oylom, he's one who held up the world. Kenira mi'sefer ha'tohar, from his holy sefer, shehimalei chachma v'yira u'bekiyus. L'mi she'yasim eni hashkachasei alav, ein aroich alav. Now, again, just... To remind the listeners, if they aren't familiar, this is Ramay Shechagiz talking. This is one of the, you know, I don't want to, you know, one of the heresy hunters of the 18th century. He's, you know... He's hypercritical. He's, you know, Yaakov Emden-like. He's, 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 he goes after many people. And here he's writing about the Rebbe Shechagiz, this different Zikaran. I mean, really beautiful. I mean, this is... 
I don't know. I'm not familiar if he writes like this about other people. He, it seems like he must have known him or know, he knows the family. And he's clearly familiar with the Sefer. And he says, you should learn it. And again, it's really this copy also that they have here at the auction. Again, it has the original binding. It's beautiful. looks really, from the pictures, just absolutely fabulous. And it's really wonderful. And I've looked at little p- bits and pieces of it since I got the new one, which came out. And it's really, it's, it's just a unique Sefer. The Tor Barekes is like a Kabbalistic commentary on Samash Shulchan but this is like a Musa Sefer on Hilcha Shechita Ubedika. And again, the leading bid right now on Lot 12, as of this podcast, is $400. I, I would assume there should be more than $400, but just because of the uniqueness of the item. Uh, and then for the listeners, again, there's also the new one, which I highly recommend. I, don't, I can't imagine it sold very well. People probably had no idea what it is. I know a lot of Svarim lovers, and they have no idea what the Safer is. So I just wanted to mention all of that because it's something that jumped out to me. I'll, I'll add that it's, there's a, you know, the halachic world has changed somewhat. The halachic landscape has changed. While in the 1700s, even the 1800s, Hilcheshchita was something that every Rav was very familiar with. And besides to the Rav, every Sheikhit, every town needed a Sheikhit, the Sheikhit were very familiar with this. The Hilcheshchita's you know, manuals that come down, those are very well thumbed. They're very well used. That was uh, an extremely popular safer. Maybe like uh, something similar, similar to the, to the Mishnah Brewer is today on, on some level. Not, yeah, maybe not to the, you know, not to be, you know, the same uh, numbers studying it, but it was, it was such a staple for those who were involved in halacha because every town needed the shaykh again in the rough. So these um, halachas were much, much more prominent than today where there's somewhat of like a specialized field. When your abonim don't, uh, deal with practical hilcheshchita questions very often. Uh, the shaykhits themselves is that you don't you don't have them as being part and parcel of the community. So uh, at the time this was written, these halachas were very well known, very well thumbed. People who had already memorized, they committed you know the shulchan to memory in, in these halachas. They would again naturally they would appreciate this this clever chap of putting a beautiful muster saver right on the halachas that they were so familiar with anyway. One more thing about Yosef Tatagin. So. In the introduction to the new one, he says, and he doesn't say who they are. Yeah, historians. A daughter, Harehu Eishes, who was the wife of Rabbi Yosef Halevi ben Rabbi Chaim Halevi Mehamel, Glickelmelon. So he's saying that he was mechotten with Glickel of Hamlin. Who's known for her memoir? Now I don't know. I tried finding this out. I'm not sure, but that's what it says here. Um, Glickel that, does quote many Musar storm, but this I don't believe is one of them. Yeah, and I couldn't find it. Anyways, that is this safer. It's lot twelve. Um, just a fascinating item, unique, fascinating, and this looks like a beautiful copy again. So that is lot twelve. Then there's you know jumping around. There's some very early editions, 1538 Torah, a 1523. Which is um, the Rebram Saba, the Torah the classic commentary. I'll tell you, this is the first edition. Beautiful, but it's tall. It's a beautiful uh, edition. There's a not earlier edition of the Sakaidish, early Shari Dura. I mean, there's a lot of really early 1541 Tor. There's like some really beautiful early um, things. An early Al Sheikh on Kehelis. That's Lot 20. And then Lot 21 is Hechel um, Akaidish. Which is authored, as they write here, by Ramosha Bar Maimon, referred to as Elba, so as a Ramosha, no relation, I guess. <laughs> he's, he's a Moroccan. Lot 22, we did not have time to get into. I would have liked to research this. 
It's a, but I'll read you the description. It's a historical book called Pachar Yitzchak on the historical book on the history of Italian Jewry, Amsterdam, 1685. And it talks about the community being saved from the Austrian-Turkish War in 1684 in Padua. It's written by Rabbi Yitzchak Chaim HaKoyen Meachazanim. Um, you can read the description here of Lot 22. Right now is a leading bit of five and a half thousand dollars. So uh, not cheap, but it looks like a fascinating item and I'll have to get back at it a little bit more. Uh, then there are a number of other items continuing down. So Lot 23, and I, I didn't see that they mentioned this here. Unless you want to maybe talk about this. Lot 23 is Chesed La Avram, Amsterdam, 1685. It's the Rabbi Avram who is the... Uh, Grandfather. He's the great-great-grandfather of the Chida. Great-grandfather of the Chida. There's a backstory here that they just talk about. Interesting couple that includes Kabbalistic illustrations, and they talk a little bit about it, but they miss uh, one of the parts of the history of this book. This book is a, you know, it's a fascinating, fascinating safer. Um, it's, it's, the, it's the history of Rabbi Rama Zulai, which, which, which could be expanded upon. He was, um, again, the great-great-grandfather of the Chida. The Chida always refers to him as Maurice Kaney, is his... Is, uh, that's, he's the, the head of, uh, you know, the, the founder of the Azulai line. He came from Morocco to Israel and quickly ingratiated himself to the leading Chachamim there. He became himself one of the leading Chachamim there. But he was very, very influential in the transmission of the Kabbalah because he, together with some of his Chaverim, they underwent the process of Kedusha Tara and, and Shvois, and they dug out some of the Rechaim Vital's Ksavim that had been buried, and they came out with the... Uh, they came. They were. They were. They were able to uncover another version of uh, part of Chaim Vital's Eitzchayim, uh, another Mahadura, which uh, had been buried. But on Chaim Vital's, uh, you know, on his will and testament, they had, had buried it with him after he died. But together, they were able to uncover it. He was. A, I think Rabbi Avram was a Talmud of of Chaim Vital's uh, students. Maybe. Uh, maybe he had some connection with Chaim Vital. I don't recall. But he uh, definitely is a, a seminal figure in the transmission of the Kabbalah. And this Sefer Chesed Avram is a. a one of the, considered one of the fundamental Sifrei Kabbalah of its time, so he's a really, um, a really important person, and this is a really, really important sefer. Um, and it's the first print, a beautiful print. There is another first print from another, another print from this year, but this is the first print, and it's a beautiful, beautiful edition, um, really from the Sifrei Yisoid. Lot twenty six. Jumping ahead, and again we're jumping around. And some of these books, I'm, some of the lots I'm just mentioning a one liner, but again you can check through the catalog. Lot twenty six is Shemaimunim, which we mentioned, which is Amsterdam, seventeen thirty six. This is the classical work by uh, Basif Irgas. I know this is one of the works that uh, Yaakov Hillel says. This is if you want to start learning Kabbalah, this is what you should learn. Um, there's actually an English translation now by Avinoam Frankel with a massive book. I mean, it has introduction, instruction of Kabbalah, and there's a full, it's a full translation. He's got notes in the back and other, many other things. It's massive, but it was redone also by Avat Shalom. Uh, and it's a debate between Shaltiel and Yehudia, and they're talking about Kabbalah, uh, back and forth. Uh, this one, the copy they have here as a really nice atikla, the binding with clasps. If you, I don't know if listeners have ever seen that clasps on a book where you actually metal clasp, you can close the book. Is what it has. Ramesha mentioned this to me, I think today, so we haven't had a chance to look into it. Rabbi Yosef Irgas was the Rav in Livorno, which is a hub of printing activity. And he uh, also, was, his family was rich. They were one of the rich families in Livorno. Yet this book is printed in Amsterdam, not in Livorno. I don't know if that had to do with, you know, I don't look at, maybe it has to do with the press at the time. Livorno wasn't yet an established printing center. It came a little later. I'm not sure. But that's where the, the book is printed. And this is really... A uh, a classic. 
It's an absolute classic. I mentioned earlier that this safer uh, fits a certain genre, which is uh, flowering at this time in Italy, where you have Bikuchim um, um, on Kabbalah. Now, Rabbi Yaakov, in his edition, he does tout it as, a, as an essential safer for anyone get initiating uh, the limit of Kabbalah, the Kabbalah of Darizal in particular. He does downplay the first half of the safer, but the first half of the safer is is this debate between Shaltiel and and Yehoyada, like you said, but it's a debate about the provenance of Kabbalah itself, which, which was, again, like in, in Italy at the time, that was a burning question. That was a, a very hotly debated topic. And um, at the time, this uh, this safer was a very important a very important salvo fired by the pro-Kabbalah side. And this uh, it, 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 uh, it was very influential. And it's uh, it follows, um, um, maybe readers know about the Vikuach, of Shadal on Al Kabbalah, it follows a very similar pattern. Obviously, this coming finding in favor of Kabbalah. You know, for example, the question like if the Rambam didn't have Kabbalah, so then how could the Kabbalah be a part of the canon? And uh, so the answer is that the, all the other Chacham that did have it outweigh the Rambam that didn't. You know, so whereas Shadal may put the you know, for his purposes, he'll say that uh, the fact the Rambam didn't have it is decisive. But the, the Rabbi of Irgas comes out that it's um. Yeah, of course, Kabbalah would find the, you know, hints at it. And, the, and I mean, it goes through all the classic, the back and forth, following very similar um, uh, pattern, but again, f- staunchly uh, in favor of Kabbalah and anti-rationalism, anti-Aristotelianism, anti-philosophy. And uh, that's pretty much the first half of the Sefer, which Rabbi really downplays because today it's it's a moot point. You don't even need, a, you don't need to fight that battle. Um, but the second half of the Sefer, the Zvikuach, now that, now that Shaltiel is convinced about Kabbalah, he now wants to understand how it works, and that's where Yosef Irgaz uses this Sefer as a platform to delve into Kabbalah. And um, one of the important contributions that he makes is he, he says that the Arizal's Kabbalah is not for beginners. And the Arizal skips, um, you know, some of the basics because he assumes that, you know, his, his, his Talmidim, who recorded his teachings, knew that already. Um, but uh, but he is uh, filling in the, the missing part based on works of other Kabbalah that existed at the time. He holds he he makes them all conform, and he explains how you cannot approach the approach of the Arizal's Kabbalah without first um, you know mastering the essentials. You're going to have the, very, the, the the total wrong understanding of that Arizal's Kabbalah. And Rabbi Yaakov Hillel says that that is um, that is the case, and therefore he comes out very strongly that someone has to learn. Um, Someone has to go through, you know, to get to that result, you have to go through Shemir Munim. He does mention, though, Rabbi Akhilal, in his introduction, that there were Hasidic Rebbes that were not such fans of, uh, of the Savior Shemir Munim, because at the very end of Shemir Munim, he does talk about his opinion of Ashgacha Pratis. And in that discussion, he talks about, besides for the human race, the rest of the creation doesn't have Ashgacha Pratis. It's a it's a klolis hashgacha on the min. That's a it's it's a it's a it's a stand which uh, it's a stand which you would, you would recognize in the Rambam and the Ramban and other Rishonim who talk about how you know every particular blade of grass doesn't necessarily have hashgacha pratis. There's a hashgacha. There should be grass in the world. That's a hashgacha klolis, as the Rishonim call it. And uh, Rabbi Yosef Irgas uh, does you know he does subscribe to that view. However, the Baal Shem Tev is famous for his uh, you know. There's the famous uh, story that became a very beautiful song about how the tzaddik found the, the, the leaf on the on the ground and he picks it up and he sees the worm underneath and then he understands the whole Ashkacha Pratis that this leaf should fall down particularly over here to give the worm some shade from the sun and how every single blade of grass is dictated by a specific Ashkacha Pratis. So that is the Hasidic viewpoint 
And for this reason, he doesn't mention them by name. He says they looked askance at this whole safer. But Rabbi Yaakov Hillel says, trust me, don't worry, I made it all work out. Everybody's on the same page, and he refers you to his own writings on the subject. And just to mention, this safer comes up with one of my pet peeves. If you see it in before the Abad Shalom, the other edition, as soon as you hear it this way, it's Shemra Emunim HaKadmen. Because it's a Hasidish, a Hasidish Rebbe, Shemra Emunim. I, I don't understand why that's not Shemra Emunim HaAchren. This is Shemra Emunim. This is one of the classic works in Kabbalah. You don't make him Shemra Emunim HaKadmen. I don't understand where this came from, but okay, just a pet peeve. Maybe now we know who those other Hasidish Rebbe's were. No, yeah, I don't know. Lot 27 is... Really nice for me, listeners, is a Gvura Sashem, uh, it's a Morales commentary. Uh, well, they write here commentary in the Passover Haggadah. That's not exactly, it's, it's on the Tzitz Mitzrayim, Gvura Sashem. And this is, um, printed in Morales' lifetime for 1582. Morales prints this. And they write it, includes the, the three rare leaves in the back of the book where he gives a, uh, kitzer of the, um, the Dinim. Of Pesach and Yain Nesach, so they're included. He says they say that these are uh, rare. And they write here also the renowned Golem of Prague was attributed to him, and I guess that that is that is true. It is attributed. So this is Lot Twenty Seven. Uh, continuing along, there's some other old items. There's a say for fifteen Lot Twenty Nine is a Arach post in Kanabala fifteen seventeen. Uh, by the way, I don't think we mentioned this because there's some in Kanabala items. In Kanabala is pre. Uh, first century of the printing press, so the 15th century, pre 1500. There's a, here's a Kabbalah work. There's an, so they write here, first edition in Kanabala, lot 31, two astrology compositions by the Ibn Ezra, Venice 1485 with Latin, and its leading bid is $1,800. Someone explained that one to me, why that, that seems very low for a 1485 book that looks to be in nice condition. I'm not sure what the story is. Someone that's an expert in this, please reach out and explain what is going on. Lot uh, 32, then there's a couple of Bomberg Gemaras. This has come up elsewhere on the podcast. Bomberg, uh, the Bomberg Shas, the first classic. There was Sansino before, but this is the first full set, the first classic. So there are some individual volumes. Lot 32 is, as they say, one of the uncommon tractates of Shas, which is true. Masech Tavad Zara, and this is censored. I can, I can plug myself here, Moshe, right? And you is that I'm right now actually finishing up a commentary of the Teres Chaim, a critical, a, well, critical edition, yes, of the Teres Chaim, the Rom Chaim Shur, dies in 1632, his commentary on Avedazara with, uh, putting back to the first print and the censorship and all that. And Moshe is being the uh, general editor through Machon Ali Zayas that he works for. And, uh, by the way, the sponsorships are available for that, that, that should be coming out soon in the next couple of weeks and months. Um, you can email me. By the way, on that, svarmchatter at gmail.com. And if you're on the WhatsApp chat, you can WhatsApp me and reach out that way if you're interested in learning more and sponsoring. Anyways, I digress. But back to this. This is uh, very nice. Again, these are not cheap. Starting price at $22,000. But this is uh, really looks like a beautiful copy. Um, then lot 33 is uh, Eduyot, Edius. Lot 34, again, it's a Bomberg. Lot 34 is Megillah, a Bomberg. And those, those are less. By the way, I should say the lot um, 33 or 34 started 15,000. It is much more money. Then um, you have a bot, lot 35 is a Bomberg Medrash to Helen. Then there's lot 36 is some Ibn Ezra. Um, bound together some of his Sfarim on Diktuk. Lot 37 is Ner Mitzvah, Moshe Pizanti. He has some other Sfarim, a commentary on Hashanas, which I'm uh, familiar with. Then there are a number of other items. Again, just trying to run through over here just to mention some. Just skipping around over here. Lot 
41 is interesting. It's Tehillah the Dovin, Constantinople, 1577. It's uh, Rabdavid Messer Leon, the son of Abihuda Messer Leon. Maybe listeners are familiar, maybe not. He was kind of gotten into a spat with Marik. They lived in the same city. Maybe the Talmidim got into a fight. There's some story about that. He also was famously against the Ralbag. He has a book, Neufis Tufim, that's the father. Uh, Lot 42 is Shubas of the Mizrahi. Lot 44 is uh, interesting, which is Lekach Toiv. And they say there's some handwritten notations here. Constantinople, 1575. So they say single edition. Um, there actually was a facsimile done a number of years ago that had a page, one page at the back of like some information. And on the sides, they actually put the psukim inside of the facsimile. And then there is about 30 years ago, Machon Shuvi Nafshi, we did it. Uh, kind of burying the lead here. This is Ramosh Najara. Recently, there was an episode on the podcast on Rav Yisrael Najara, buried in Gaza, the uh, author of Karibwin and many poems and brand new book, two volumes just printed now of his new uh, poetry, She'erit Israel. But this is his father. Lekach Toiv and uh, Ramosh, you have anything to add on this? Yeah, Ramosh Najara is, is somewhat of a forgotten figure, although he was also a tremendous, tremendous uh, personality in his time. He is from that uh, select circle of the Arizal's Talmidim. He marries the daughter of Israel de Curiel, another forgotten figure who at the time one of the Gedele Hador and Tzfas. He's from that uh, rarefied ear in Tzfas, which is bred Chachamim Muflagim, um, including Ramosh Najara, a tremendous Talmud Chacham. Um, he uh, he spent time in uh, in Damascus. He was a rav there. He himself was not in Gaza, but his son Rabbi Israel was. Uh, Rabbi Israel is famous uh, uh, famous as a songwriter, although also a prominent rabbi, prominent Talmud Chacham. But Rabbi Moshe Sefer, this um, this Sefer Lekach Toiv is in it, it's it might be best described as an early form of uh, Taira Tamima. The point of this uh, Sefer was to bring the Taira Shabal Peh on the Pesukim. There's a resurgence of interest in such form. Avach recently published the Sefer, uh, Just the Chumash with Midrash Echazal, without any notes or anything. There is an interest in that. I think if um, if you have such an interest, you would really love the Sefer. Tayyar Tamim was a very popular Sefer. So this is uh, an early form of that Sefer where he brings from Mechilta, Safra, Safri, the, uh, the Midrash Echazal. Of course, he brings them from the Gemara. He arranges it on the Pesukim with short Biurim, um, but Pshat. It's a Pshat Sefer. Uh, based completely on showing how Chazal understood the Pesukim and, and, and learning the Halachas from the Pesukim, the Chidah gives it a very warm uh, recommendation. He says, this is uh, this is learning Tair Lishma. You're getting Tair Shepiksav, Tair Shepalpeh. And he says, the beautiful name for the Sefer is Lekach Toiv, because it is. It's Lekach Toiv Nasati Lechem. He recommends everybody should uh, uh, learn it if they can. Ashrei Adam HaShoyket Al Dal. So it's a beautiful Sefer. If you if, if you can't afford um, uh, this uh, rear copy, um, I do recommend you buying the Shuvinavshi copy and looking through it. It's a wonderful safer. Which I'm not sure if the Shuvinavshi one is in print. I found it in the Capital Svarim a number of years ago. But yes, this is a really fascinating item. Jumping ahead, Lot 51 is interesting. 1680 Amsterdam, rare Chamish uh, Chom with Megillus and Aftaris. says it's signed by Rebekhil Fowl, the, the son of the, Ramami, the, the brother-in-law of my father, they say. But it's got beautiful color pictures throughout. Really uh, beautiful looking Volume. Lot 52 is a Siddur of Yaakov Emden, two parts. It's a star price of $6,000. And that, as they say, and maybe that's because the, the title says Segula book. I'm not sure, is this a Segula that we don't know about? Yaakov Emden, Yaakov Emden is a classic. Yaakov Emden, Siddur, and Mude Shemayim, one of the classic Siddurim. But I'm not sure where Segula book comes from. It looks to be in, in really nice condition as well. I would venture that its value as a Segula is not as great as its value as a as a, as a, just a, a one of a, an excellent, an excellent purchase and an excellent addition to anyone's library. 
the Yaivis, uh, full of uh, color, full of life, full of halacha, full of Gemara, Baal B'mikra B'mishno B'gemara, and his Siddur is a, is a classic Sheba classic. This he printed himself on his own printing press. Almost every single, I'm sure every single perhaps, Siddur went through his hands. It was, uh, it was him who pushing the print with the help of his uh, helpers, but he was the one who actually produced the safer. The print can sometimes be a little hard to read, and uh, the, 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 the Ivitz is complicated, hard to navigate, but very well worth it. It's an excellent, excellent uh, uh, addition to anyone's library. Yeah, yeah, the printing press in his basement. So he, uh, he was printing, and yeah, that's your back. And then there's a couple of really, like, lot, lot uh, 63 is a Shari Tzian from Pisa, 1799. It's like a beautiful copy. It looks like leather, like it's a stamp, like some really nice, just pretty volumes here. Lot 64, Ein Yaakov. It was, a, as they say, magnif- magnificent, impressive set. And it's got some beautiful binding with red and yellow. It's like different things going on. You'd have to, you know, see it. Lot 65, that miniature, it looks like leather bound. Machzerim. Um, for uh, Yom Nerayim, same with Lot 66, they have a riff that's leather bound. These are just really pretty um, items. So there's that, that's interesting, you know, just very interesting. Now, again, flying along over here, trying to, Lot 70 is Lucas Edis, that's the polemical work from the Arenas and Ibshitz and the Yaakov Emden fight. We discussed that in a previous episode, so we're not going to get into that. Lot 71 is a Marsha, Prince Nida, Prague, 1602, during his lifetime. Of the Marshal. That's an interesting um, item. That's lot 71. I have, a, I have a friend who told me he likes Svarim that are printed in the author in the lifetime of the author, which is an interesting thing. So that is something like that. Um, then there is um, Tferis, lot 74 is Tferis Yisrael, Megillah Sefer. It's on um, various things. This is by the Rashbash, the son of the Tashbats. That's an interesting thing. Now, lot 75 is an interesting item. Lot 75 is uh, Salonika 1601. It's called Masa Melech. And it's a book authored by Rabbi Yosef Ibn Ezra. And I don't know that it has any relation to Rabbi Avram Ibn Ezra or Moshe Ibn Ezra, but who he was, he's famous in the yeshiva world, and not even the yeshiva world, he's famous in the world for his classic on Kedushin, one of the most classics from Atzmas Yosef on Kedushin. But this is a book, this is the other book that he printed. He printed two books, Atzmas Yosef and Masa Melech. And Masa Melech is a book on taxes and taxation. It's an interesting book, and it's not something that's really dealt with very much in Shulchan Aruch. It's uh, not dealt with at all, really at all. And he wrote an entire book on this. And there actually was a new edition put out by Professor Yaakov Shmuel Spiegel. This was done uh, 30, 40 years ago. And he printed the Yadar of Nisim at the same time as he printed, he put together from collected from manuscripts um, Chuvas, Responsa from him. And there's a you know, he has a bio on Rabbi Yosef Ibn Ezra in the Chuvas, and there is he talks about this work in the in the um, introduction to the Masa Melech. He talks about this Masa Melech. Just to give the readers some background, the, the laws of taxes and taxation are not how to file your taxes uh, with the IRS, but the laws of taxes are again, it's it's a forgotten area of halacha because we don't live in Jewish kehilas anymore. But at the time when the kehila, when, when Jewish communities were run by a board. What is the authority of the board in levying taxes, which were demanded by the government? What's their authority in, in governance and other areas that relate to their, their judicial authority? A very important, uh, very important halachic area, but again, not one that was explored previously. So this savor in its time was a, an essential work of halacha for, um, for, for, for the area that it addresses, which uh, re- speaks very much to the historical realities of the time. 
And Rebbe Ben Ezra, to explain, again, this is printed in 1601 in Salonika. He's a Talmud of the Marjdam. Shmuel de Modena was a Talmud of Rebbe Yisif I believe. So this is, he's the generation or so a little bit after the Yisif. And he's Rebbe Karo, he's printing this. And it's really a classic. And it's actually a question which Professor Spiegel addresses why this was never redone until his edition. Again, Yad Rav Nisim. It was never redone. He says maybe because the classic work, Kensak uh, Doyla, um, quotes a lot of it just word for word, and then a lot of, you know, Rabbanim used it, but it's not always quoted. Some were using it, some were quoting it, some were looking for it. And again, it's really, this is something that was important. And as Ramesh said, it's not how to pay your taxes, but it's on those kind of taxes with communities. And he actually has two parts. One is with the Jewish communities and dealing with the government. He also talks, again, they were all interconnected. The community, the meaning paying what I mean is paying the community the taxes that they needed and then paying your communal taxes that they would tax the Jewish community, the government would tax the Jewish community. So not, again, paying the IRS like you would have now. So that is lot 75, and it's a nice copy, leading bid of $600. Again, leading bid, star price is better, leading bid, this is, we're recording this now, it could even change by the time this recording comes out, and this podcast will be up after the auction, so if listeners are, you know, but again, I'll just say what it is, you can get some sort of understanding for what's going on. Lot 78 is, again, Segula book. Um, it's a Nefer Shechayim, first edition, 1824. Um, is it a Segula? It's the first edition of Nefer which is a classic. So that's, you know, Lot 78. Um, a couple of others. Lot, lot 80 is, it's not the first edition, it's Sefer HaMafoyer by Shlomo Molcho. Rabbi Shlomo Molcho, as they write, they call him Rabbi Shlomo Molcho. Shlomo Chavivi, as he's referred to by uh, Rabbi Sivkaro in Magid Meisharim. Or Sefer Hamagid, as uh, Avat Shalom put back. Lot um, 82 is the Chafet Hashem of the Arachayim HaKadosh, 1732. Uh, I was telling that the Arachayim HaKadosh is very well known for Arachayim. Maybe to some extent pre-Tire. But I feel like Chafet Hashem and Rishon Litzian, he's not, not so well known. They're not so well known, but uh, I could be wrong. Although on his, uh, his Matzeva, this farm Arachayim is not the first one that they uh, mentioned. He's, they mentioned Rishon Litzian comes before that. So, um, a very important saver from the Arachayim, definitely. Yeah, because it says here that it's the first book he published at 36, and Chavit Hashem is on Shas, I believe. So, a lot, um, 83, as we mentioned, is Venice 1523, Recanati, not Recanti, but as listeners may be familiar with it, Kabbalistic commentary of Menachem Recanati, one of the Italian Rishainim, Alatayra, this is a beautiful first edition, uh, leading bit of $8,000. I'm just giving the leading bids again, just to give you like a feel of what price range we're talking about, because I'm saying years and things have different price range. Lot 84 is the Psakim Uksavim from the Chumas Edition, set 1546. I believe this might be the first edition. I know Chumas Edition, I think, may have been before, but this might, they say it's a second edition it's together and it's printed separately. Um, so that's that. Then jumping along to Lot 86, which is a really cool book. And this is Sefer Tishvi. 1541, it's the first edition, and they say a complete copy. In Sefer Tishbi, uh, is Eliyahu Bachar, Elijah Levita, uh, noted grammarian, and he also was an author, he wrote the, uh, Bava Buch. The, the original, the original Bava Meister. Yeah, it's, it's him, he wrote Yiddish uh, literature, um, and he was uh, famous, again, for his diktuk, and he has a lot of books, Sefer Tishbi and Metorgamon, and there's many works, and Zechran Aaron's been redoing some of them. But this one is uh, the Tishbi, and it has the Hebrew on one side. On the right side of the left page, it has the Ita- Italian, Latin translation. It's a Hebrew and Latin edition. So, uh, Ramosha, 
Turn over to you. This is um, uh, the Latin part of the Sefer is the work of of his benefactor. He was about 70 years old already at the time with quite a reputation already as a, as a leading grammarian, a leading Bible expert, leading dictic expert, a humanitarian, a Renaissance man. And he's brought into, um, there was a, a very big interest on the, on the, in, in, on behalf of the Christians in the Christian Hebraists, an interest in learning original Hebrew. And, uh, they were publishing their farm, their books, often with, uh, often with the intent of, uh, of missionary purposes, but they were writing in Hebrew, corresponding in Hebrew. And so this, um, he was brought in there. He was brought to Izni, which is in Bavaria. He crossed the Alps from Italy, where he had been, to Bavaria. And he, um, he, he lived on the largesse of this uh, bishop, Paulus Fagius. Paulus Fagius um, set up this printing press to publish his own works and, and other works of grammar that were of interest to him. Now, it's been noted that uh, that uh, the Bachur had to answer for his uh, for the for the sin of teaching uh, Torah to Gentiles it was not looked favorably upon, and he had to answer for that, which he did. He did defend himself, um, but he never did have to answer for helping um, push you know, helping this 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 bishop push his uh, his own you know his his works with a missionary agenda. And I'll give you an example in the Sefer Atishvi with the, this this edition actually. Um, on Hebrew books, you can find an edition with just the Hebrew without the Latin. And in there, if you look at the end of Ois Yud and the entry for Yeshu, uh, it's actually seasonal now. People, uh, There's an interest in uh, looking at the rabbinical attitude towards Yeshu. So if you look at Yeshu there, it, uh, it's a paragraph of where the name comes from, um, different, uh, different theories about it. How the how the the Gentiles pronounce it, how the Jews pronounce it, and that's where it ends in the in the uh, in the Hebrew only edition that I saw in Hebrew books. However, in the edition, the Hebrew and Latin edition, there is an edition. There is an edition in the edition, and uh, the edition starts in Hebrew. It reads like this: Vani Hamatik, and it's written in Hebrew by this Paulus Fagius. He calls himself Vagius. Vani Hamatik follows Vagius lechfoid mishichenu v'goyalenu, and he, he's going to say so. He's going to quote. From uh, Josephus, there's a there's a there's a, a contested passage in, jo- in Josephus about uh, Yeshu. Some scholars say it, it is original. Others say it's not original. But he quotes, you know, he quotes it at length in the Hebrew side and again in the in the in the Latin side. So um, there there was a purpose for this. Um, that's Paulus's uh, purpose. Now they enjoyed a very nice relationship, even uh, even though Eliyahu um, Bachur, the the uh, editor. Uh, um, General editor of, of these works had to know um, he had to be aware of uh, some of the the intentions of this Paulus, but nevertheless he appreciated Paulus. He felt Paulus Paulus was a uh, just and honorable person to the point where he says, just like we Jews say about the Rambam, Moshe He says the Christians should say, from Paul to Paul, none arose like Paul. And that uh, that line has been censored out in some of the the later European editions of Sefer, Sefer Atishbi. But that was that was his estimation of the man. Um, there's a very curious tidbit I saw. Um, there's a, one of the works of this of this uh, Fagius. One of the works is is a missionary, an out and out missionary work on the Christian faith called Sefer Emunais or Emuna or something like that. And and the, and the, at the end of all his works, including this one uh, here on auction, there is a, a stamp with a tree, and this is the this is the the emblem of Paulus Fagius. And there's you know missionary content. Adorning the, uh, the 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 stamp, and it refers to um, his uh, deity as the Mashiach Hanishlach, Nishlach sent, 
with a ches, in the Sefer Emunah, it's nishlach with a chaf, nishlach avegivar, thrown away. Um, the person who, who brought this to my attention was of the opinion that that was the work of Eliyahu Bachur, the Tishbi, kind of interjecting his opinion. I think it's more likely that that was, uh, this, I'm, I'm going to be Darish Lagnai, and say that the Sefer Emuna was a Sefer that he didn't touch, and therefore Paulus misspelled the word, you know, with his limited knowledge of Hebrew. And uh, and, and the other emblems do bear the imprint of, of the editing of Eliyahu Bachur, but, uh, but why should we Darish Lagnai if we don't have to? But uh, anyway, this is a very, uh, very uh, controversial person, this, uh, this uh, Fagius. And the relationship that the Tishbi has with him is also controversial, but I should note, I don't think it's noted here in the description, but the Prima Godim, no one less than the Prima Godim, was a very big fan of the Sefer HaTishbi. He says everybody should get used to Sefer HaTishbi, give you an understanding of the Hebrew language and of Diktuk. It's a very important Sefer. You should learn it with children. He highly, highly recommends it, and that's, um, that's, that's worth it. that recommendation is worth its weight in gold. Um, there are newer editions. There's a beautiful edition from Mechonor of Matzliach with notes, Scholarly notes from all, from collected from all you know throughout history, including Rabbi Mazuz's own notes. It's a it's a really a, a very important, worthwhile, seminal safer. Yes, yeah, real classic, and I think it's included also in the Zechonara and the Did Torgamon and Sarasamasaira and a lot of his other works. And again, he's really he's many Gedolim were very you know pro him. There's a memoir of Hashem the Goyin that he was you know the held of uh, the Leo Bacher. Um, there's a, in the Zuchanar, they reprinted in there, I think, the bio on him by Buber. So Buber has, is in there. Uh, and again, this is lot 86. And this is, the leading bit is $1,100. It's, again, this is the complete edition. I did reach out to confirm if it has this, uh, part about the issue. It seemingly, they didn't know offhand, but it should, because this is the, um, this is the, the complete edition. This is the Latin and Hebrew edition, so it should have it. And again, the first part, he says, Yeshu, Yeshu, and he goes through the whole thing, and again, he goes through different pieces. That's what the Sefer does. Um, and then it has Vaniamatic. So it's really uh, a fascinating little quirk of the work, besides for the you know importance of the Tishbi generally, just how important the Tishbi was. And Elio Bacher, as you mentioned, Ramesha, he had, you know, he, he taught, he also was, he had a patron, he would use be under a patron and he would work that's how they would work in italy generally renaissance italy and he was under cardinal uh guido i think david terbo first and one of <clears throat> one of his books i don't remember offhand <clears throat> which one he defends himself by saying how he <clears throat> you know don't get on me that i was a working for this cardinal, and he mentioned someone else, who I, I don't remember if it was Ramesha Kravitz, who worked on the Sforno, or someone else was uh, said on the podcast, or told me that he's referring to the Sforno, who the Sforno, Ravadio Sforno, was known, was the teacher of Johannes Reuchlin, the noted Christian Hebraist, who ended up saving the Gemara later on in Germany. But again, that's how kind of he was defending himself. One thing that I remember from, uh, I think it was, that was the podcast with the, Rabbi Kravitz, one thing that st- stood out to me is like we don't have any direct interaction on record between the Sephorno and the Bachur, and uh, the very astute point was brought up at the time that the uh, Sephorno was one of the leading Chachamim uh, of the Gedele Hadar, while while this uh, Renaissance man, as as interesting and as fascinating and even as scholarly as he was, didn't really move in the same circles as uh, as as the Sephorno. That was an interesting point. Yeah, so that is lot um, eighty six. That's lot 86. Then there's a couple of, uh, we'll, we'll skim again and just mention, now there's a copy of Rusiel Malach from Salonika of 1843, pretty late one. Um, lot 91 is a Sefer Karnaim, 
second edition, not a first edition. Uh, lot eight, lot 93 is a Chavetz Chaim, and this is the first edition. So this is Vilna 1873, the anonymous edition. It's a starting price of $1,800. This is the first. You know, you see a lot of the Chavetz Chaims with the Muga coming up. This doesn't have Muga, but this is the first, first, first edition. Um, lot 94, they have a copy of the Chavetz Chaim's Chedushay Rabbeinu Yoyna on Sanhedrin with some marginal notes of his. That's lot 94. I should point out that the Chavetz Chaim um, um, was, you know, he's known for, he, did, he didn't believe in buying a lot of farm. If he could use one in Shul, he, he, the shul. he didn't believe in spending too much money on, uh, on, on uh, possessions that will outlive you. He, that wasn't, he felt that the money should be better spent. Um, but so these, it's it's uh, later on in the auction. There's a lot of farm from Chaim. Can you guess? You know, there's there's not going to be a lot of farm hitting the market that were part of the Chavetz Chaim's library. So this is a it's a rare item, right? You see a lot of the his own farm that he printed that he wrote, which Muga in them or some notes in there, corrections. But actual farm that he owned is different. Lot ninety five is the last will and testament, as they say. Rabbi Alexander Ziskind of Harodna, which is the Yeshev Vesher Shavida. is the first edition, seventeen ninety four. Uh, printed in Rodna. Lot 96, for those interested in Yiddish, there's some other Yiddish items that we skipped, but Lot 96 is the first Chumash print in Yiddish, Cremona 1560, which is a, a nice item if you're interested in that. Lot 97 is interesting. It's a Tarun Vim Uksum, Amsterdam 1700. It has a signature of Rabbi David Nunez Torres, who we didn't know, but if you look, he's on, he was the editor, and he's, so it's his name and it's his copy that he actually has. Lot uh, 98. Is has one of these. What's interesting about it, it's a machzer from Rome, 1757, but it has a silver binding. You see these on these old books sometimes, even like from 30, 40 years, 50 years ago, it come up like these old, I don't know if they're actually still look alike, but it's actually a silver binding. So then this is the Taj art catalog, and they do have art. Now, not art, or they have more like Judaica. There's some candlesticks and the uh, spice tower. There's a... Uh, they call it a Hanukkah lamp. They actually don't call it a Monero because I guess it's not a Monero. There's a, a couple of Monero. This, the next one's a Monero though, so I don't know. There's Monero in here. There's some other things. But what's interesting here, again, these are all, if you're interested in this, this is, you know, not art expertise. They're not Sfarim. There's some more modern kind of art or Judaica, if you will. But the, there's an interesting item here is, um, lot 119. They call it a museum piece in Indian Jewish community. It's a Torah. It looks like it has, comes with the scroll, but it's kind of the case. It's in the Sephardic, you know, the standing ones, not the uh, regular. And it's Calcutta, India, 1903. Now, you call that the Sephardic ones. It's an interesting study. Um, the difference between Ashkenazi Sifrei Torah and Sephardi Sifrei Torah. Um, today, it's commonly called the Sephardi one and the Ashkenazi one, although that wasn't always the case. Um, it's been explored recently. Um, the Shurin 25 has an article from uh, a reprint from Abdovid C. Hillman, an investigation on the topic. Rabbi Merzbach and the Aliyayna, he has an article on, on the topic as well, but it's, it's, I don't think it's been conclusively proven exactly when and where and how the different kinds of Sifri Torah came about, but um, there's, there's references that, that go either way in, in the Gemara. For example, you have uh, Matzil and Asa Torah and the, and the tick of the Sefer Torah in Shabbos. It talks about a case of the Sefer Torah, so that sounds like it's a Sefer Torah in a case, much like uh, what, like this uh, uh, exhibit 119 which has a standing case. Although you, others have said it may mean the, the little box which, where it's kept, not necessarily that that's a permanent box, a, a case for the Sifri Torah. Uh, there's a famous Gemara McGill, which talks about the Goyal after the Kriya Torah, the Goyal is Neitel Sechar Kulam. That has been understood to mean the, to, to mirror the Ashkenazi 
the now Ashkenazi custom of doing uh, Hagba and Glila after Kriya versus the Sephardim who do it before. So that would, uh, rolling a Sefer indicates that it was not uh, stuck in a case. But Mitzah Chen, you have the, the Rabbeinu Hananel's Pshat and the Rambam who understands that the Goyal means the person who takes the last Aliyah and he's the one who closes uh, closes the, the case. He's the, the last Aliyah, the Mashlam. So it's not clear. The reference in the Gemara go either way. Um, there's indications that... I think it's safe to call Ashkenazi Torah. You can call that Ashkenazi. I, I don't think there's any record of an Ashkenazi community um, north of, uh, you know, a European Ashkenazi community, which which had a standing case, like we uh, is common among the Sephardim. But it, the Sephardi one, it's not, it's a misnomer to call it a Sephardi one because um, the Western Sephardim, as far as the European Sephardim, apparently did not, like such as the Turkish Sephardim, the Spanish, the original Spanish Sephardim did not necessarily have it. Some did, some didn't. It's not clear. Um, it does seem that it was more, um, more in, in, in the in the older part of the world where that was common. Okay, I mean nowadays it's uh, associated yes. with the Sephardim. Lot one twenty two. It says a rare and early Jewish portrait photograph from the nineteenth century, and they say this is perhaps the first Jewish photograph. Certainly one of the earliest, and I guess it's Jewish. It's uh, many because he's he got payas, he has a beard. I don't know how else you would tell, and just an interesting kind of item. Lot one twenty three is interesting because it's a Mizrach. And this is from uh, Germany or Alsace. This is in the German-French border area. And it's a Mizrach. They would hang it on the wall, showing the Mizrach. And what's interesting about it is it's, it's beautiful. It's like kind of got color and there's a description as Mizrach. And there's a coat of arms of the uh, House of, uh, I believe it's the, let me just confirm, it's the House of uh, Bourbon, I think. The Royal House of Bourbon, when they regained control from Napoleon. Now, I guess with the new Napoleon movies back in the uh, news so to speak, when is Napoleon not though? But what's interesting about this is is that uh, it's got Moshe on one side, Aaron on the other side, and Moshe's got horns. He, he literally has horns. He's holding the luchas with a pointer. Aaron's on the other side, all dressed up the kind of but Moshe has horns coming out of his head like like an ox. It's often thought that the horns was a Christian, um, you know, artistic piece, uh, an, an, an adaption of uh, the the carne or that the, the puzzle talks about. Um, but uh, maybe it was a Christian, but it definitely did seep into the Jewish consciousness as well. And this is clearly, this Mizrach is, is clearly the, the work of, of Jewish artists or f- for the Jewish uh, uh, patrons. And there you go, Moshe with the horns. Yeah, which is unique. It's a really nice item. Just It's a leading bit of $1,500, given the idea of what it is. Lot 124 is a, they're normally going to some letters and different things, but it's all you know, kind of mixed up is a telegram from the chief rabbin of Israel proclaiming a day of fasting and prayer for the victims of the Holocaust. This is March 18, 1944. Um, lot 126, if someone's interested in this, collection of leaflets and supplements of the anti-Semitic newspaper Der Sturmer. So if you want some Nazi ephemera, I don't know. That's what uh, Lot 126 is. Lot 127 is a uh, memorial book, a pinkus of the Hever Kedisha, the Padua community. And included in this pinkus is mention of the Ramat Vali, Hamesha David Vali, the kind of Rebbe Talmud, Rebbe Chavar Talmud, all three of the Ramchal. And he actually, many of his, a lot of his writings, he has tons of writing. I don't think anyone's ever published in his lifetime, but now it's been published by Rabbi Spinner, and some now as Machon Ha'itzra has been doing. So, you know, he's got a whole Tanakh and other things and kind of Kabbalistic, some very interesting things. Lot 128 is a prayer for the recovery of uh, Maria. The Empress Maria Theresa from Smallpox. And uh, this is interesting. Um, this is by the community of Mantua. Obviously, it's famous, the Hespit of the Night of Yehuda on Maria Theresa, printed in Dresden of Yehuda, Shirley Bornstein, did a big raid bite on that. That's kind of a, 
a famous one. Then there's some Hasidic Shesvarim, Slavita, Jetomer, not my forte, uh, which I don't know if it's yours either, so there's, but there's, there's a number of Hasidic stuff. But I do want to get to, we've kind of waited, we're getting, we have to get to what, in my opinion, I don't know, maybe is the most interesting item in the auction. It's buried at the end. I'll let's mention lot 141 is a letter about appointing Rizm Chaim Zonnefeld to the rabbinate of Jerusalem, of Yerushalayim. It's actually a letter. It's signed by many rabbanim, and you can actually read the letter. That really was yeah, his appointment. This appointment is in uh, is in 1919, which is uh, a long time after the position was vacated. Ten years after it was vacated with the death of Rav Shmuel Salant, the previous Rav Yerushalayim. Um, and it's it's obviously very political. Um, Rav Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld, but he was from Hungary. And the Yerushalayim of that time was very, very, um, people were very territorial. They had the Koil Ungarn, the, hung, the Hungarian Koil, which means the, Hungari- the Hungarian emigres would get their sustenance from this, uh, from money raised in Hungary. And then there's the Koil Litten, and, and the, other, the other Jews were predominantly Lithuanians of the Ashkenazi community, that is, predominantly Lithuanians, and they would have their own money, monetary distribution. And when Abshul Salant died, Abshul was the Rav of the Koyal Prussian, which is again mostly based Lithuanian. So um they they the the best candidate was Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonfeld, um, but they didn't appoint him. They they felt it was a they couldn't reach across the aisle and appoint a, a Hungarian like Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonfeld, despite the fact that he had been there for a very long time and was close to the Maral Diskin and he was just a an outstanding candidate. But they they couldn't appoint him and therefore the position was vacant for about ten years. It's only in nineteen nineteen after Rav Cook was appointed as the Rav of Yerushalayim, uh, then the, this, this, this faction realized they better get their act together, and then they finally united under um, under Yerushalayim Chaim Zonfeld. Um, this is signed by many names here, some very famous names. These are the, these are the Salta Shamana of the Prushim of, of uh, what you might call the Badats, uh, you know, section of Yerushalayim. But it's a very fascinating historical document. Then Lot 142, is a manuscript in the handwriting of the Ramaz. We mentioned him earlier, Ramesh Zakuta, when he came up with the Eitz discussion. The leading bid on this is $48,000. Uh, it's really fascinating to see. Uh, lot 143 is Drushes that they say is unknown from the Beneshchai. Um, this is also an interesting item. You do see Beneshchai items come up at auction. Again, they're saying this is different because they're saying that this comes up from his period, he says, uh, after he leaves period of isolation, I'd say there's some another unique feature of this one is very often you have um, s- smaller pages which apparently were part of a larger notebook, but they were split up and sold and in, 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 you know split up for auction to be sold in smaller pieces. So you don't have the whole entire notebook, but here you have sixty pages. This is a very significant, significant portion of the Benish Chai's drushes. Definitely um, a very unique item. Yeah, I'm not sure what the isolation means, but it just means like he's thinking. I, I don't know if that's actually uh, what that means. Then there's uh, Sansa Mayoyer. This is lot 144. Um, this is a book of the Chida, and they're saying that there's, you know, handwritten corrections of the Chida. And there's also a seder with the, of the Chida, which is lot 145, with some comments. So again, there's, first of all, as you can tell, I hope, from just us mentioning various things, this auction is chock full of amazing items. Really, just fascinating to look at. Again, either if you're interested in bidding on it or if you just want to see it, if you just want to talk about it, really fascinating. Lot 147 is a, a base of Irgas. There is a, a manuscript from his. So I, I didn't, we didn't look into this. We just looked at it and they're saying that it's in his handwriting. I'd be curious to know more about that. It's 
absolutely beautiful handwriting. It looks like it's printed to publish or printed by a copyist. But that's lot 147, a star price of 7000 Lot 148 is a leaf. If you want an 800-year-old leaf, a leaf being one page of the Rambam Commentary Mishnah Torah. This is 800 years old from 1222. Just one page. Lot 149, I had mentioned it in Kanabala, so a 15th century item. This is a 1486 Nevi'a Machreinen with commentary of the Radak. This is Sensino, 1486. The start price is $20,000. So just going back to my earlier comment, the earlier item with Ibn Ezra, why that was 1800 I mean, in Kanabala, $20,000 is what it should be. It's in Kanabala. I mean, this is these are, you know, from the just any print, Jewish or non-Jewish, these are just a fortune. Lot 150 is a manuscript from uh, 600 years old. It's a pre-expulsion. This is a leading bit of $60,000. Yeah, so those are fantastically expensive items, just fantastic items. Some other manuscripts. And then we get to Lot 152, which I think is the most fascinating item here. And we'll try to convey that. I know we've gone long already, but I want to convey that to the listeners about why this is so interesting. A lot 152 is a complete manual. Well, it's not complete. We'll get this. It's a manuscript of the Sefer um, Ibrashanim Tikkun Yisachar of Rabbi Yisachar Ibn Susan or Ibn Shushan. Uh, Tzfas, who is he? Let's get into that, Rabbi Yisachar. Who is Rabbi Yisachar Ibn Shushan? What is this Tikkun Yisachar? It's not Kabbalah. Probably thinking Tikkun, Tikkun Klali. It's not that. It's setting up the calendar. It's part of and I can read from Professor Elisheva Kabach's wonderful book. I'll read some of it. Palaces of Time, Jewish Calendar and Culture in Early Modern Europe, where she talks about these Sifrei Evronot, Sefer Iber, and these were, this was calendar culture. We, don't, we didn't have iPhones and Android and the internet, and you'd have your calendar, and you can have Maizmanim, and you could check things up. It's not how it was, and this was a very important uh, part of Jewish history. And this is, and he's at, living at the time in Eretz Yisrael. This is at the time of Eretz Yisrael. So this is uh, this is kind of the golden age of Tzfas, is who we're talking about. And just one more thing I shall say, the Sefer, by the way, has been printed, and there's a new edition came out recently, but this is a fascinating discovery for many reasons, and I'll, I'll give it to your Moshe, and then I'll, I'll say some more about him after. Yeah, just I'll, I'll start with the background. Um, Tzfas at the time is an in-gathering of Kibbutz Goliath, and again, it's, it's the pinnacle of, uh, of, of, of Torah scholarship in, in the world at the time. Nigla, Nister, Hasidus, Precious, everything is, Tzfas is, is the world's uh, capital for, for Torah learning. And, um, and in, in Tzfas, you have an Ashkenazic presence, and you have two Sephardic presence, and this will come up uh, later in a bit, you'll understand where I'm going with this. But there's um, the Sephardim, there's um, the, 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 the after Girish Sfarad, the Spanish exiles, they encountered Jews in other lands, so they gave them names. The Jews who lived under Christian, the Jews, the original um, inhabitants of lands that were under Christian rule, they referred to as Romans because of the Eastern Roman Empire. They were called them the Romaniotes. That's how you have a Minig Roma, the Nusach Roma in Italy, for example. That's uh, that's where that term comes from. And then you have in the Jews in uh, in uh, the Arabic lands, because they resemble Arabs, they're called the Mistaravim, uh, the, like the, the Arabic Jews. That's what they call them. And you have these two communities. You have the Spanish community, uh, which they speak different languages, by the way. In uh, the the like where the Beis Yosef in the Beis Yosef Shiva, they spoke a, a Ladino. They spoke a Spanish. And there's a, a sister community there with their own Dai and their own Rosh Shiva, and that's the Mistaravim community um, where they speak Arabic. So Rabbi Sacher is from um, he himself is from Morocco, the Maghreb, and he's Arabic speaking. So he's he joins that community, but he's a great great Talmud Chacham. 
and um, there's 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 a lot of interaction in the communities. They, you know, they daven separately, and Rabbi Sacher mentions that he mentions how the communities would daven their own nusach, they would conform to their own traditions, but they learned on, in the same yeshivas. They all submitted to the authority of of, of uh, the Beis Yosef at the time. He was the Godladar there, so uh, they were harmon- They lived harmoniously, but they had different minhagim, and that will feature uh, in a bit. But Nachi, first, go ahead and tell us uh, what you know from uh, this book. So first of all, this is lot 152. Again, right now there's a leading bit of $25,000. And I think this makes sense, actually, uh, I think. Um, this is, again, this is a manuscript of his with corrections and additions. I should just get to it, not beat around the bush. So this is, and we'll talk about how amazing this is and what a discovery this is. And they actually included a lengthy uh, article put out for this item from the scholar Yosef Avivi. But so, as I mentioned, Professor Kalbach does bring down um, a fair bit of this in her book, which, by the way, beautifully produced book with color images throughout. It's a wonderful read. It's a pleasure to read. I highly, highly recommend it, this book, just if you're interested in reading it. And, and I'm not someone that's interested in calendars and numbers, but it's not what it's about. Um, it talks about calendar and it, about calendars and print culture and how Jews were interacting with calendars and time and how it was important and why it was important. It's a really interesting book. So uh, on page 51, she's first talking about earlier um, editions of earlier kind of calendars, everyone note, let's call it, or Avrinus, I guess. She talks talking about Tikkun Yisachar of him. And it, it was printed um, early on. And she, to- again, as Ramesha said, he came from Africa and he goes to Eretz Israel. And he's a Talmud of the Malbach, or maybe even Chaviv, the famous, uh, the one who kind of argued on the Smicha. And he has a Kunchus Smicha and his Chuvis that uh, Marie Beirav talked about. And he says here, he talks about that he, he gets into, I'm going to quote, I'm going to read from her book. You can read this in Tikkun Yisachar, but here just has the English translation and it just flows. That he says in his book, the uh, Ibn Shushan, as a result of my wandering, it was difficult to concentrate on texts. So I occupied myself by reviewing the mathematical formulae related to the Ibr to take my mind off my, tra- off my travels. And so he was trying to justify why he was doing this. And again, he traveled around. I believe the community sent him out to collect money, to be like a Shadar. So he would go all around. Now, he also says that, he, that in 1539, a controversy erupted of when the Shemitah was. When was Shemitah? He says he went through Rambam and Ishtari Aparchi, Kaftur Aferach, and he said that it was Shemitah. Now, then he gets to a sad or kind of a sad issue that arose. And he said that he gave the manuscript in those days. I mean, it still happens today. You give your manuscript to a, to a press like Ali Zayas to do the work. But he gave the manuscript to an editor proofreader responsible for preparing it for the printer and shepherding it through publication. This does not appear to have expedited the process because the book did not appear in print until 1564, almost a quarter century later. When at long last he saw his book in print, because you would send your book away and he lived in Aristotle, says he was not happy to say the least. Shlomo ben Benjamin Rey, or it's Reish, you know, Strachel Yud, but Rey, the man to whom he had entrusted the job had positioned his own name prominently on the title page and title page and buried the author's name in small print on the bottom of the page. And as Professor Kabbalah says, Rey's precise role is difficult to ascertain. But this was only the beginning of Rey's misdeeds. Far from eradicating errors, Ibn Susan charged that Rey had taken many liberties with his original manuscript. In particular, the manuscript had been recopied two or three times without my knowledge from my original. The printed book appeared to have been based on an inferior manuscript copy, and in the course of, unauthorized, of the unauthorized copying, Ibn Susan complained, many errors had crept into the first printing. Quote, 
He omitted diverse items from various parts of the book. He ignored some of my insertions and deletions. And throughout the entire book, he omitted the prepared tables as well as the circles for the tkufot. He included only the hundred-year charts. And Del Rey wrote his own name on them, although he did not compose them. He printed that edition in a money-saving mode. And while I cannot blame him for what he omitted, I blame him for what he added of his own or of others, conjunctions, months, and the turn of the seasons. These are the years for which he erred. Therefore, I have seen fit to add here in the second edition an appendix on the Tukufot with true precision. And what happened was is uh, Ibn, Sh- Rabbi Sakhar, Ibn Shushan brought a new, a new edition to print, second edition. He corrected and edited the work himself, correcting it. So usually we hear with Sfarim, you want the Tfosrishan. The Tfosrishan here is worthless. You don't want the Tfosrishan. As well as the Salangas is terrible. So, you know, you if you'd see at auction the second edition, that's the one you would want in general. Not the first edition. Maybe for the oddity. You don't want that one. And he went through it. And again, he printed years. He he prints the tables. There's tables in there of charts. You know, you see this printed farm until, you know, past today. He goes on, he goes on till, till the year 6,000. He says, till the end of the world, he's going to print tables on it. He wants people to see it. And he corrects it. And he writes. Uh, and because of this sloppiness, he charges this ray. All those who rely on the errors that these printers have perpetuated are eating leavened bread on Passover and consume their hearts' delights on Yom Kippur. So the mamish overing so to make people over is their isa, a terrible thing. This is not stomach. People in those days didn't have calendars. This was their Google Calendar. It's a horrible thing that they did, and he's he's furious. And he says, you know, he continues and he talks about how they printed it. The printers themselves testify regarding their own work that letters can easily be exchanged with others as they quickly separate them, each letter in its own box, and they do this with all the letters. See, so again, I'll, I'll skip this. He explains how they basically were working in the printing press. And he goes on, and there's really a lot there. But the other part that's um, to mention here, why he also prepared it, he said that when he was traveling, in some of the places I passed through in my travels, people beseeched me to provide for them a tikkun, which means a fixed calendar chart that would last for many years. And this is up on page 58 in Professor Kalbach's book. For they said that they did not know how to search the Sifri Ibra that are found among us to find a particular year, unless they are told the Kfiut, set formulaic number, according to the chronology of creation, or according to some other chronology, such as the Minyan Shtaris, era of contracts. For they have no luchas, which are tables, that arranges for them. They have asked me to prepare a book on this subject and to inscribe tables in it. Therefore, my book contains tables from... 5299, which is 1539, through the year 6000, the end of the world, a total of 702 years. I have provided tables and rules for the Tkufus as well to track them until the end of time. And we'll get to Tkufus. There's a new year and uh, kind of uh, lunar eclipse and different things that we can discuss what Luchas are and his opinion that he gives on Luchas. But I'm just reading snippets of this. And again, you can see the new edition, just to mention, of the Tikkun Yisachar was put out a few years ago by Orham Mayrev. It's called, it's a green volume. It's put out four years ago. And they're very nicely done. There's an introduction, different things. Now, as we'll discuss, it seems like you need a new edition now. But uh, Ramesha, back to you about this item. Lot Now that we've kind of explained what this Tikkun Yisachar is, and I, I think it's quoted even in Shulchan Aruch, it's quoted in Besesif. It's, it's, I mean, really super important about calendars. It's quoted in all the Paiskim. One of the, and again, he's one of these, uh, you know, Dalem at the time in, the time of Risikaro in Neres Yisrael. And let's talk about this item here, this manuscript in auction. Now, besides for the, uh, the calendar aspect of, of uh, the Sefer, it has a very another, another very important feature, and that is the minhagim that associated with the, with the, with the, the, the calendar, the passage of time. It's like a, it's like a shul um, manual 
of the Carissa Tire is very famous for what you lane when. And um, that is the subject of of one of the most amazing parts of this uh, manuscript is this is the edition that was sent, uh, was copied and sent off the print. But Rabbi Sucher kept this edition and continued to make changes. He made changes after it was sent to print. So not all the changes are reflected in, in the printed edition. There's still more, um, you know, marginalia and other um, editions that he had written in, in the mar- in uh, you know notes and, 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 and corrections that were not included in the in the final edition. So this is a, an extremely important saver just for that alone. But there's an amazing historical discovery here as well, and that surrounds one of the um, one of the issues uh, taken up by the safer, and that is what is the proper laning for um, communities in Eretz Yisrael that keep only one day of Yom Tov versus uh, the communities of Chutzlars that keep two days of Yom Tov when Pesach falls out on Shabbos. So when Pesach falls out on Shabbos, so in Eretz Yisrael, the following Shabbos is not Pesach anymore. But in Chutzlar, it still is. It's, it's the Achron Shal Pesach. And as such, they don't lane Parsha Shemini. They lane, uh, they lane the, the Pesach laning. So when do they catch up? They have to catch up with, with uh, Eretz Yisrael laning uh, two parshas together. And Chutzlar, it's... Um, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm making a mistake. It has to do where... Uh, where in Eretz Yisrael they would lay, they would split the parshas and and, and Chutzlar would catch up by combining the parshas. So which parsha does that happen was a matter of dispute between the two congregations in two Sephardic congregations in Tzvas, with the Beis Yosef's um, the, the Spanish community doing it one way, and um, and this uh, this Mistaravi community doing it the other way. And Rabbi Socher adds in a, in a in a margin here. He adds in. A fascinating, fascinating episode where he says he was shown an original safer from, they dated to 1390. An ancient manuscript safer which supported the way they did it in the Mistaravi community. And he says this safer was brought to the Beis Yosef on his deathbed a few weeks before he died. The safer was brought to Beis Yosef. Now we don't have this, this is a testimony that does not exist anywhere else and it's in the hand of of Rabbi Sacher, the author of this safer, Tikkun Sacher. And he says the safer from 1390, from Akadman, dealing with this exact issue was brought to the Beis Yosef, and the Beis Yosef saw that his psak was not in, not in conformity with this, this ancient sefer. And really, the Mestarvim had it right, and the Beis Yosef was so, uh, he was so bothered by the fact that his psak didn't, wasn't in, in line with the sefer that it says he put his two fingers in his mouth and he bit his fingers in frustration. And he said, Halavai, I wish I have the opportunity to, to write this wrong. But sadly, says Rabbi Sacher, he did not have the opportunity, and he passed away before Pesach of that year, so he did never got to to change his opinion on it. So this is an, an outstanding uh, discovery, uh, an Adus Mikli Rishon on the Beis Yosef, which we would never have anywhere else. So um, it's a real historical, um, really historical treasure, and uh, this item is is accompanied with a twelve-page write-up by uh, Rabbi Yosef Avivi, uh, definitely an, an authority in on these matters. He examined this manuscript, and he informs us that there's pages missing in this manuscript, which uh, are to be found in a, in a, in a manuscript held in, the, in a museum in, in Cairo. Together, they make up a full, complete safer. So they're really, it's, it, this is, um, this, this safer hopefully falls into the hands of someone that wants to see uh, it brought out to light. Um, there's also additional biographical information in the back of Svarim in the olden days. That's where they'd keep a register of the uh, of births and deaths in the family. So we learn a lot about uh, Rabbi Sacher from the information that he penned in the back of the Sefer um, in first hand, in his own hand. We, know, we now know more about him himself and his children, where he lived. So it's, a, it's an amazingly uh, important discovery. And I, like I said, I hope this does find its way to the hands of somebody that wants to see it published in a new edition where we finally have um, the full, complete, uh, seminal work by Rabbi Sacher.
Yeah, it's some sort of, you hope that people go to a library or, like you're saying, a private individual that would allow others to use it uh, because it's really important. Interesting, you mentioned the Minhagim. He's one of the first dimensions eating fruit on Tubishvat. You know, people think this is like something that was going on for thousands of years, but this is, this is not really the case. And he says, Yoim boy in Shvat, Rosh Hashanah the Ashkenazim used to have a lot of fruit. And he says later on, it, it seems like, and the new edition says, it seems like a Sardin didn't do this. This was an Ashkenazi thing. We know the whole thing doesn't come from Chemdes Yomim, is it Zibetian, etc. And one more thing I would mention, going back to Professor Kalbach's book, where he talks about the Tkufa. Tkufa, and he, there are a lot of the Sephardic Gedalim kind of downplayed it and poo-pooed it and said, this is silly, this is kind of a old wives' tale, this is just a superstition. And he says, no, no. And he says, I, orphan of orphans, least of the le- least, least among the disciples have difficulty with the words of Rav Hai, of Hai in a blessed memory. If he is correct that the Tkufa practice was merely symbolic of the new season, why did the people not also refrain from drinking water on the new year, which is the essence of the whole year? They should have been required to do so at least at the beginning of the day or at night of, at the first meal, as it is customary to do, during the Tkufa not to drink water even during a meal. The same question applies to the three other New Years throughout the year. According to the words of those Goyanim of lesson memory, who say that the early sages said these things merely to frighten the masses, this is a great puzzlement. For even the sages of the Talmud and the Kabbalists have suffered this, he says, the harmful effects of the Tkufa, over many generations since ancient times. All of them, all of them, have had this frightening voice in their ears, cautious and warning others, sages and plain folk, with proclamations in their synagogues, their communities, and among the peoples. If the matter seemed inherently unclear, would our predecessors not have had some other way to frighten the masses, to fear God except for this way? Perhaps with these things, they continually preach in their sermons and exaggerate for them? If those banished blandishments did not cause people to fear God, how much less will they listen because someone tells them, whoever drinks water during the tkufa will be harmed. This does not lead to fear of God, not a lot and not a little. Furthermore, one can wonder at the word of Rabbi Rami ben Ezra, blessed memory, who wrote, the matter of the swelling up is the prattle of old women, as it is impossible that this fear has become known and spread throughout the world for no reason. Even the books of codifiers and Kabbalists of blessed memory contain written evidence of this fear. And he was, you know, upset about this. He didn't, and, and this is something that he talks about. And if you want to hear more about the Tkufa, you can read extensively uh, in Professor Kalbach's book, again, Palaces of Time, and this is chapter, just to find you the exact chapter, that talks about the Tkufa, is chapter 7, uh, which is quite interesting. So, and then there's tons more in Tikkun Yisachar. Again, you can find the new edition, still in the story. So this is lot 152, and uh, that is that. And then, again, there's a lot more. There's, there's still 210 lots. Lot 155 is autograph of a Karite responsor regarding the laws of kosher shchit according to the Karites, if that is your interest. Um... There's a, there's a bunch of, number of other items. Again, of, of course, just, uh, trying to see what else to mention here. There's a interesting, and there's an Amsterdam, uh, Zoyer that they say has the notes and corrections of the Kabbalist of Shalom Buzaglu. He's the author of the Mikdash Melech, the commentary on the Zoyer. So they say this is his notes. There's various other manuscripts and, uh, a Siddur belonging to, there's a Siddur, um, and various other items here. I don't want. I know we've run kind of long. There's a manuscript 169 pages in the hand of Ruda Fataya, which is interesting. There's a um, this manuscript of an autographed manuscript of Avi Ezri by Rav Shach. This is 171. And just I'm just going to throw a price just to understand the price range we're talking about. That's right now is a bit of 1400. dollars 
Um, there is a leaf, so a page of Chedushim from Leo Gutmacher, uh, the tzaddik of Grodis, what is he referred to as a miracle worker? He was a Lithuanian, Lithuanian miracle worker, and you know, he was treated like a Rebbe, although he was a, a Litvish, a Goyen, a Talmud, a Kveger, but uh, it, it, it didn't matter. Everybody would line up for his bracha, just like they would any other Hasidish tzaddik. Yeah. This, uh, there's, a, there's a number of items in this auction. We mentioned the Benesh Chai, which has 60 pages of unpublished Hidushim. Yeah, there's a number of such, uh, you know, like uh, just... Carrying over the theme that I mentioned with the Tikkun Yisachar, where, where I hope that these things see the light of day. There's a, there's a lot of such items in this auction. There's 17 pages of the Adaris. That's light one seven, uh, lot 173. Uh, chidushim, the Adaris. There's a very big interest in his Chidushim, and those um, never been published. You have a, a, a safer from Rabbi Chaim Yeluz. This is uh, Rabbi Yosef. should be Rabbi Yosef Chaim Yeluz, one of the last pre-mandatory Palestine Rabbanim of Tiveria. Um, a full safer on Chumash which is either his or it's his father's. To me, it looks like it's an older handwriting. And they say, I think it may be his, he owned a safer, probably maybe one of his ancestors, Svarim. There's a, a safer from Bavram Shag, the Rebbe of the aforementioned Rebbe Yosef Chaim Zonfeld, one of the greatest Goenim of his time. A full safer. There's a lot of Torah here, which I, I hope um, is pursued and, and, and bought, purchased and, and eventually sees the light of day. Lot 178 is Yamshel Shleima that belonged to the Chavaz Yor, Ruchan Bakrak, Prague 1616. And again, you mentioned the other the other stuff, and, I, and there's Chuvas uh, Ramesha Feinstein, lot 81, lot 182. There's a response of Ramesha Feinstein. There's Farm of Rucham Kinevsky, his copy of Chuvik Eger, that's 1000. Is it the lot, no, st- star price at 1000, lot 184? Sorry for the confusion. There's Sefer Tehillim, Sonny Rizuk Tovio Weiss. There's some other manuscripts. And again, there's just so much here, and we've gone so long already. We're trying to get through just to mention some of these items. Uh, some Kabbalah books, some letters. There's some letters from the uh, from the early Shiva of uh, Lublin. There's a very interesting letter from the Chavetz Chaim, Lot 198. It's a letter about the Manchester Shechita polemic. This is Lot 198 as a bit of eight thousand dollars right now. Yeah, maybe and, one of the last uh, letters they say of signed by the Chavetz Chaim is in the last few months of his life. So it's a, a very rare item as well. Yeah, and there's again a number of other. Letters, there's an interesting, a very interesting, Lot 201 is, is interesting, it's cute, it's a star price of $800, it hasn't been bid on. It's a letter from Chamovadi Yosef, and it's a biography, he's going through his life, I was here, I was there, I went here, this is, you know, he literally recounts his life, what he went to. It seems like it was written for maybe a government purpose or something. It reads like a, like a CV, it's uh, signed, just I and Yosef, it does seem to be an official letter, but it's, uh, it's got all the dates and it's in his handwriting, it's a fantastic little piece. Lot 204, this letter of Rav Cook. Lot 202, going backwards of some letters of Rabbi Sechem Sonnenfeld. Lot 205 is a letter appeal for money, Rabbi Sechem Um And then there's a letter of, in 206 from Rafael Shapiro, Rashiva and Volazhin. I mean, there's just endless, endless stuff. Lot 207 is a notebook of Chidusha Terra Masha Finkel, the son of the Alt of Slabotka. And there's uh, Lot 208 is 15 leaves. So again, number of pages with Chidushim from, and Mamorim, they say this again, just Torah from the Mechta Melio. So there's a number of letters and a number of other things in here. And then we, we jumped around and we tried to mention different things in the auction. There's tons here. Uh, we went very long. I know it was another long episode this week, but just to do it justice, to try to talk about some of these interesting things. Again, this episode was sponsored by Taj Art. Thank you to them for sponsoring it. But full disclosure, they did sponsor this episode. But as always, I wanted to make sure that the listeners found interesting information here. Whether you're interested in bidding on some of these items, please go register with Taj Art. There'll be a link in the show's notes. 
bid on some of these items, check out these items. But even if you're not, if it's something that you, you're not interested, you know, you don't buy antiques or you can't afford it, still worthwhile to check it out and to look at these treasures. A lot of these letters you can read in its entirety. They put it up the entire letter. Sometimes the auction houses like cross out or blur it out. A lot of these letters are there in its entirety. You can read it. You can check it out. Really fascinating. And I would advise, uh, listeners to do so and to check it out definitely well worth checking out the pictures of these of these lots because uh, they're, they're high quality images and sometimes you can get more seeing a picture you couldn't get otherwise for example there's a there one of the earlier lots which we had to we had to pass by um in the due to time constraints there was the the a letter written to the the community in uh, modena uh, on behalf of the yeshiva of the Arachim in 1766 but you can see the act. So first of all, it, it looks like you, you've seen these. Uh, if you if you read uh, Avram Yari's Shluch uh, Eretz you've seen such letters where you, you know it, it's in, in a fancy calligraphy signed by all the Chachmei Hayeshiva in the Sephardic, uh, you know, very colorful signatures. So you have that there. Um, but in addition to that, they show you the pictures of of the back of the paper, the reverse of the paper where it's addressed. You can see how it was even folded up and delivered to its. Uh, to the community leaders in in modern Italy, uh, it's, it gives you a, a feel for for the you know for how this star was actually used instead of just seeing a, a facsimile of it. So it's a very well worth your while. A very colorful auction. Lots and lots of historical uh, information can be gleaned from these um, all these different lots and uh, very um, very uh, important important items full of Torah, full of Jewish history full of uh, the, the lives of tzaddikim that uh, appear to us in, in their own handwriting very often. Definitely um, an amazing experience to be able to go through this and, and participate in this. Yeah, I will mention that you mentioned uh, the the uh, the uh, Rebram Shag, that's lot 177, and there's also Drushas Harush, it's called. I don't know why they called it Harush, but that was printed by Zichron Aaron from him. And lot we, we did skip, lot 180 might be of interest, not super expensive, it's a bit of $800, is the Charles Shuvah's Arhameir of Rameir Shapiro, Roshiva and uh, the Rav and Roshiva in Lublin, in Lublin, and and Chachman Lublin, and his uh, Davi Sofir recently wrote a you know massive bio in the Meshbacha, and uh, this is a handwritten dedication and signature of Rameir Shapiro on the title page, and again not not super expensive, some of that type of thing, it's lot one eighty, so uh, check it out, and again many items we've gone long, but there's a lot to discuss. Thank you to Taj Art again for sponsoring. Hopefully you found this interesting. Again, for the, the feedback I've gotten from the previous ones is that people enjoy this. They enjoyed us just talking about history and items and, and antiques and things like that. If you enjoy it, let me know. Email me, sfarmchat.gmail.com, on the WhatsApp chat, WhatsApp me, you know, on Twitter, comment, however. And uh, thank you, Ramayusha, for joining me once again. And uh, hopefully for the listeners, I know this was long. Hopefully you enjoy it and you have as much fun as we did researching this and discussing this. Thank you very much, Naki, and thanks uh, to Taj, and thank I thank you for the platform, and uh, I wish your entire audience all the best.